Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative and lifestyle medicine. We review the medical literature and we review case studies. Today's show topic is working memory, pre-diabetes, and cinnamon use. Our guest today is Professor Mark L. Valquist. He is from the Fuli Institute of Food Science and Nutrition, and that is in Hangzhou City, China, and also the Institute of Population Health Sciences in Maoli, Taiwan. Uh, he co-authored an interesting paper entitled, uh, Cinnamon Users with Prediabetes Have a Better Fasting Working Memory, a Cross-Sectional Functional Study in Nutrition Research 2016. So I know you've been traveling, Dr. Valquist, so thank you for taking a pit stop in Sydney, Australia to uh, chat with me. My pleasure. So how did you get interested, or tell us a little bit about your educational background and your current position and how you got into kind of studying nutritional products. I'm a medical doc- medical doctor, a physician, specialist in internal medicine with a particular interest in, in metabolic medicine and uh, in nutrition and endocrinology. I had the unusual um, distinction as a medical student of being the only one in my year to possess a nutrition textbook. <laughs> um, but I've always, so I've always been rather interested in food um, and its relation to health as long as I can remember. I, I've had the, the opportunity to in a way, have a dual career, both in internal medicine and also um, in nutrition, in the in the public health domain and also in the clinical area. And then the distinction um, uh, deserved rather wise of, of being the president of the International Union of Nutrition Science, uh, which of course is the uh, world body of nutrition science and relates to the International Science Council, which is based in Paris. So uh, that's my claim to interest and and. Uh, and uh, expertise in, in, in the nutrition field. Um, I'm presently um, actively involved in, in developing both uh, public health nutrition and food science and clinical nutrition, mainly in Northeast Asia, although I've spent a good deal of my life, of course, in Oceania, Australasia, um, and Southeast Asia, with a parallel experience in Scandinavia, because, because as you uh, rightly pronounce my name, Valkvist, uh, I, I have, my family migrated from Sweden to, to Australia, and I have close links with my my family and my and my colleagues in Sweden as well. You uh, you did this article entitled um, "Cinnamon Users with Prediabetes Have a Better Fasting Working Memory," uh, a cross-sectional yeah. study. Now, define what's the difference between working memory and old regular memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, working memory is is a, a more practical way, I think, of looking at memory is sometimes called executive or includes executive memory. So it's, it's about how we use information to execute tasks. So from an operational point of view, um, it, it's an important way of looking at uh, looking at memory. If you like, in a way, we look at activities of daily living from a practical point of view of how, we, of how disabled or otherwise we are. Uh, rather remarkably, um, uh, working memory has been developed in a, in, a, in a way that's the test for working memory has been developed in such a way that is quite practical and also cross-cultural. So it's uh, it's had a, an interesting application, for example, in in Sweden, that looking at looking at proneness to accidents, all the way through to uh, um, to predicting a later uh, dementia um, in older populations how we got interested in it was that um, separately in a very large study of, uh, of 800,000 people representative of the uh, Taiwanese population uh, that we tracked for a decade or so, we looked at the effect of diabetes, the advent of diabetes 
newly diagnosed diabetes on subsequent dementia and other neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's disease and also um, affective disorders, as a matter of fact, which we think also have uh, some basis in neurodegeneration. I mean, uh, unipolar and bipolar depression that takes us into another area. But we've been we've been working and publishing in that area uh, in Taiwan and very large populations. And, and this awareness that that diabetes has as an important um, adverse outcome. Uh, problems of co- cognition is one of the one of the under the underappreciated areas of the need to reduce the burden of diabetes uh, in the community um, and uh, in those prone to it um, to actually diminish the likelihood of dementia, which, as we all know, represents a huge potential burden of disease in in society. It's just not in Western societies like the United States and Australia and Europe and so on, but increasingly in Asia as well, where we're doing much of our work. There has been a, a growth in, in knowledge and awareness that the plant-based diets um, sometimes in particular referred to as the Mediterranean diet, which we've also worked in in, in, in that area, looking at its, uh, its role in preventing disability-adjusted uh, health outcomes. Part of the plant-based diet is the use of culinary herbs and spices. And so hypothetically, even minor components of a plant-based diet could help increase survival and decrease morbidity. So, putting all of this together, where diabetes is becoming more common, so of course is pre-diabetes, and for every case of diabetes, there are probably a couple more uh, of pre-diabetes. I think that certainly applies in the United States, as it applies in Australia. We know too that in pre-diabetes, we already see some impairment of cognitive function. So, the question in our minds was, if, if in this large, increasingly large population of people uh, with pre-diabetes, going on, many of them, to diabetes, if we could tackle the problem of both diabetes and of impaired cognitive function early on, this could have a huge impact. So we thought, let's take something simple uh, that many of us use across cultures. Um, we've looked at turmeric, I should say, and published work on turmeric, which showed that turmeric in a, in, in a small dose, um, gram or so, for several hours uh, improves working memory. So we thought, what about cinnamon? (laughs) And because cinnamon, even more attractively potentially, um, is known to decrease insulin resistance, not strikingly, but to some extent. Um, So it seemed to us a candidate for just what we wanted to do to see whether in pre-diabetes we might reduce the risk of diabetes and also reduce the risk of cognitive function. Can you tell me, define for me what prediabetes is or how you defined it? So prediabetes is basically where the fasting blood glucose is elevated but doesn't reach that associated with diabetes. So it's that in-between. It's a sort of twilight zone between uh, healthy blood sugar and the blood sugars we find in diabetes. Are you defining uh, that as uh, 100 to 125 or? Yes, 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 in milligram per 100 ml, yeah, that's right. Okay. And the other thing I should say as a qualifier is that um, we, we also studied people over the age of 60, basically a study design uh, a point, but, but also from, a, from the point of view that, that it's aging populations that are particularly at risk will be appreciated. So, so the combination of prediabetes 
an older population, not too old, <laughs> 60 or more, and the possibility of cognitive impairment. That was, that was the situation that we looked at. And we found if people regularly used cinnamon, they had a better working memory tested um, in the fasting state. Um, so after an overnight fast, that, that again standardized the circumstances in which we, which we assessed it. Dr. Um, Valquist, was this uh, an Asian population or, or, yes. or this particular yes, I should, population? I, I, I should emphasize that um, this study was of uh, an apparently healthy population um, in Taiwan, uh, in Taipei as a matter of fact. In Taiwan, uh, which has a national health insurance scheme, people over the age of 60 are entitled to have an annual um, health check, health screening check, as part of the National Health Insurance Program. And, and so people, uh, they don't have to have it, but people can, can have an assessment which includes fasting glucose and includes a number of other things, blood pressure and, and, and so on. Let me, um, let, me, let me ask you then, was this a urban population or was this a rural pro- agrarian population? It, they were from Taipei City, so they're That's, urban. Right. Uh, and uh, we've no reason to think that uh, a rural or provincial population would have responded differently, but um, we do have to uh, uh, be clear in how we extrapolate these data. So, yes, uh, in Taiwan there is an indigenous population, but the, 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 the subjects we studied were all of Han or Chinese Han ancestry. Well, my thought was is that in an most urban, when we get start getting around city centers, we eat more processed food versus a traditional oh, versus a traditional diet that may be more unpro, you know unrefined and more plant based. Yes, I think that that's a good point. We we have detailed dietary information on these people. I think we can say that in these sixty or over year olds, they were eating pretty much traditional Chinese diets, um, rice based rice and noodles based mm-hmm. diets. So rice and wheat, wheat noodles-based diets. And with a reasonable quantity of vegetables, uh, still uh, very usual for people in Taipei to have green vegetables on most days. And, but there are other couple of things which are, I think, quite distinctive as, as background, that there is a high consumption of tofu, uh, which is soy, uh, uh, soybean, of course, and a fairly high consumption of fish in general. And so these people... Um, might have had fish a couple of times a, a week. So um, the dietary background is different. I, I think uh, it's a dietary background which in general favors cognitive function. And so against that, that background, we've seen an improvement. Nevertheless, there are people with, um, even though apparently healthy, they are people, as, uh, as you know, were found to have prediabetes. And I, I want to emphasize as well that these were newly recognized through the screening program when we studied them shortly after um, the recognition of their prediabetes. They had not received any intervention for it or any, any advice. They had not received any dietary advice. They had not received um, any medication uh, for it. So our findings are, I think, not altered by the, the presence of, of pharmacotherapy in any way. Was there a... An amount of cinnamon used that was more uh, reflective of reducing the risk, like a gram or yeah. so, something like that? Yeah. We estimate it to be around about a gram or so a day on average, uh, but we, we're not in a position to talk about dose-response relationships. But we do know that um, it's at the levels uh, of usual consumption if people, if people use cinnamon. and we're not, So we're not talking about 
pharmacological amounts of cinnamon, nor are we talking, of course, about cinnamon extracts. We're talking about cinnamon as used in a, in, in a, in a, against the background of a Taiwanese diet. Is, is cinnamon used a lot in an Asian diet? Yes, uh, it's used. Um, it's used as part of uh, uh, the spicing of, of, of food. It's used. It's used in in um, in uh, savoury dishes more than in sweet dishes. In, in Western culture, of course, um, cinnamon is used a great deal, um, along with along with sugar. I mean, I personally I like my apples with cinnamon and cloves, um, but of course, it has a bit of sugar with it as well. So there is a difference in in the use. It's uh, in a traditional Chinese diet. Um, if anything, it's enhancing the use of of, of savoury foods. There is that potential uh, confounder. We've We've actually done extensive, extensive uh, adjustment of the data, as you will have seen from the paper, as best we can. And we, so taking account of the background diet still comes out as, a, as an independent, surprisingly strong, uh, I think, independent predictor of working memory. The other thing which uh, I should note is that we've taken account of socioeconomic factors, um, and we do find that the next most important thing is education, educational level, so that, um, and that's independent. So if in addition to, uh, to the use of cinnamon, one has a higher level of education, then working memory will be better. And in several of the models, we also see that insulin resistance in itself is, is another important factor. I mean, after all, these people do actually have prediabetes. The interesting thing is that cinnamon is working independently of insulin resistance and that's something we would like to explore further because we know from other studies not from this particular study but we know from other studies that cinnamon does improve insulin resistance that hasn't been found in every study in, in different parts of the world but it certainly has a potential for doing that and so we would think that the use of cinnamon in this group which is an increasingly large group of, of, of any population people with pre-diabetes could benefit not only in relation to uh, proneness to diabetes but also in terms of cognitive function. We can't say from our work uh, what might happen in relation to other complications of diabetes, but obviously if we slow down the progression of diabetes, we've got a, a good chance of, of other health benefits accruing as a result. We're not talking about a costly intervention. We're talking about something which is affordable. We're talking about something which is safe, with one exception, um, and that is that Cinnamon has many bioactive compounds in it, uh, but there, cinnamon that does also have coumadin-like compounds uh, and warfarin, which is used commonly in the treatment of or the prevention of, uh, of thromboembolic phenomena in people with atrial fibrillation, for example. It's probably not a good idea for people on warfarin to also use cinnamon, although that's probably more about the adjustment of warfarin dosage. It's a bit like warfarin and vitamin K intake, where, the, at least as a physician, I recommend that people maintain their green leafy vegetable intake for vitamin K, and so they don't have to, to change the warfarin dosage unnecessarily by changing their background diet. And I think the same, you know, I think the same could be said on warfarin. If you were to use cinnamon, you want to have it on a regular basis so it didn't 
require you to keep adjusting your warfarin dosage. That's about the only caveat I would have about um, cinnamon usage. I'm glad you said that because that's one of my things with green leafy vegetables and cardiologists or such uh, telling people to you know cut them down. So we understand that warfarin and cinnamon might have a little yeah. caution there or at least keep it at the same level. But how about yeah. fish oil and vitamin E, let's say? Because those are frequently said to aggravate. You're right, yes. Yes, I think that's a good question about fish oil and vitamin E and going along with uh, with cinnamon. We are then talking about a range of things which can alter hemostatic stasis. I think one probably does need to caution. That said, um, the population that we studied do have a reasonably uh, significant fish intake. And on the, But on the other hand, um, hemorrhagic stroke is a major health problem amongst Northeast Asians, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans. I mean, I doubt that this is a contributor, but I guess it's an area where one would have a co- some question mark. I, I, I can't answer the question. Okay. I think it's a very good point. How about, are there any other synergistic herbs with cinnamon? I think that a number of culinary herbs are likely to be synergistic, uh, favorably. I mentioned that we've also studied turmeric and found that turmeric improves working memory. So also do extracts of, of turmeric with curcumin. Um, I don't recommend that because because the curcumin at higher doses, those can be toxic. Whereas there's really no evidence that turmeric can be toxic at levels used in conventional cooking, you know, with curry and so on. Turmeric is also uh, belongs to the ginger family, and there is some evidence that the ginger family in general might be favourable to working memory or to cognition anyhow. And then the larger family of herbs and spices, the Lamiaceae family, best characterised by mint, but also oregano and basil, and so on. There is growing evidence that several members of the Lamiaceae family of plants might also be favorable to cognitive function. Can I ask you, is rosemary part of that family? Yes, yes it is. Well, very interestingly, very interestingly, I talked to a cardiologist from one of the University of California, San Diego, who's going to Acciaroli, Italy, where they have a, a very concentrated amount of centenarians. You know, I just talked to him two weeks ago, and yes. the one thing that they do is like everybody chews rosemary, eats rosemary, cooks it. You, that's one of their favorite herbs. So maybe that's part of the, the whole thing, too. It may well be. I think that that's very plausible. Um, and so the, the findings that we've got on cinnamon may just be the tip of the iceberg. I think if you remember what I said about the Mediterranean diet, which I'd prefer to call it a plant-based European kind of diet, you know, we, we, that, that's associated with increased survival. We, um, with Dimitri Tukopoulos then at Harvard, um, we published the first study, if you like, on the, on the Mediterranean diet in the British Medical Journal in the early 1990s to show that the whole combination of the diet rather than anyone that was the best predictor of life expectancy in Greek villages and then it's been extended to other parts of the Mediterranean. With one interesting finding as well that, that we found in, in those studies that legumes, beans also are important predictors of, of survival. And so in our studies with cinnamon, you know, I'm cognizant of the fact that these people do have a regular, very regular intake of, of soybean by way of, of tofu. And during my days as with the International Union of Nutrition Science, we, we conducted an international study amongst older people and we found that, that beans um, are one of the best predictors of life expectancy. Now, this, of course, is the year of the legume, you know, nation's <laughs> year of the legume. And so I think we'll be hearing a lot about beans and legumes this year. Uh, but I, I think that synergy between these herbs and spices and beans is, is likely to be important. I, it's a little bit speculative, but It'd be consistent with all the data I know, and I certainly not one to ultimately single out single 
foods or, or items. I mean, they're interesting. I think our findings are valuable in that respect. But, but one has to remind oneself that it is against a, a diverse plant-based diet that we're talking. Um, I think that's our best bet, if you like, for reducing the burden of disease and living longer. Well, you're preaching to the choir on, on that, and uh, I've had some very nice discussions with Dr. Wilcox, who's the co now the co-chief investigator at the Centenarian Study in Okinawa. So we got to tie this up. Do you have any ending thoughts? Uh, I want to thank you for your time so much. Well, I thank you. Um, I, I think the more people understand uh, the value of not just an affordable approach to, uh, to health, but a sustainable approach to health, because not only food diversity and variety, but biodiversity in general has to be our future or we have no future. I couldn't have said it better. So I just want to ask one thing. When you said biodiversity, were you talking about eating more plant food and less animal food or what? Yes, I am. Because in our, at least in our studies of food diversity and health, your greatest chance of achieving diversity is with plant food. And, and that's what accounts for most of the gain diversity of You'll you'll appreciate uh, in my in my book the forward is written by David Jenkins. You might know. oh David is a very old friend of mine. And one of his biggest things about doing the forward in my book was that a plant based diet was you know not just reducing chronic disease, but that mm-hmm. you had to protect the ecology of the planet. And it was you know Indeed. something that we we have to do. So again, thank you so much. I will get this out to the people. We'll put this up on iTunes, and it'll be on my website. I'll send you links to it. So I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know in your busy schedule, it's nine eight now. Now it's almost maybe nine thirty in the morning, and we'll talk to you soon. So thank you very much, Doctor. Thank Valquist. you very much. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition of the Staying Healthy Today Show. I you can sign up for my health letter at uh, stayinghealthytoday.com and listen to this podcast. I'll talk to you soon, and you have a great day.